This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Master Brewers Bookstore, where you can find must-have titles like the Practical Handbook for the Specialty Brewer, Beer Packaging, Conference Proceedings, and more. Visit mbaa.com store to build your brewing library and make better beer. Consumers, like I said, are more and more aware of off flavors. If they get a bad case of beer, then they'll be less forgiving and it might take four or five good cases of beer to win back their trust. This week on the show, Joe Spirot joins us from Dogfish to talk about trials they ran to make a better glass of beer. If you type Mercaptain into the search bar at mbaa.com, you can find a TQ article hot off the press that goes into more detail on the same subject. Hi, my name's Joe Spirot, and I work in quality assurance at Dogfish Head Craft Brewery. Does that mean you're a little bit off-centered? Oh, quite a bit off-centered. All right. So you're <laughs> you're a biochem guy with a food science master's degree, which means um, you you probably spent spend a lot of time in the lab there. Why don't you talk a little bit more about your your role in your day to day? Yeah. So um, at Dogfish Head, we kind of in the lab cycle through a ton of different positions just to make sure everyone's fresh, everyone's cross-trained. Um, so that includes things like packaging checks, uh, microbiological checks, uh, fermentation tracking, and sensory. Um, and for me, one of my big focuses is sensory. Um, so that means that I really enjoy running our um, daily, we have two times a day, a true-to-type panel. So that means we present both fermenter samples and bright tank beer samples and um, package samples to um, co-workers at the brewery and ask them, is this true to type? Does this meet specification? Are there any present off flavors? Um, so I really enjoy doing that. And um, also in sensory, I like to run a lot of um, trial testing, which is kind of where my research for the um, reduction of perceived mercaptan came from. So we're always trying to produce our best product and put it forward. So we're looking for improvements in process control to see if there are any like simple changes we can make um, to get the best product out there. Let's talk about the background that sort of led up to this study. How did this all come? How did this all come about? Did it start with you know customer complaints, or did you notice a trend from analyzing routine sensory panel data? How did it start? Yeah, so there are certain um, yeast strains. And certain processes throughout brewing that do produce mercaptan uh, more readily. And mercaptan is kind of a general term. Uh, you can think about it that way. Uh, so we kind of identify mercaptan as a drain or a rotting garbage type off flavor. Um, so this can really come from yeast autolysis, uh, bacterial infection, even high levels of trube or um, dry hopping. Uh, basically, any way that sulfur compounds can leach into the beer. Um, so knowing this, uh, we know that um, our yeast strain may produce a little bit of this um, in specific brands. So we kind of wanted to figure out how we can limit that. So um, 
Mika, who is a brewer, uh, was a brewer at Dogfish Head, uh, kind of came up with this plan to see if dropping uh, levels of Troub after uh, fermenterfuls would uh, reduce the levels of mercaptan. Okay, but how did you uh, how did you first kind of dis- when did the problem first sort of rear its head? I mean, have you, has it always been there, and you kind of yeah. said let's get rid of it, or is it something that kind of you know appeared suddenly, or you know? I think it's I think it's something that we've always been aware of, and I know a lot of other breweries deal with this too. Um, so it's something that we're always trying to control um, and always trying to limit. So it's not like it suddenly became a huge issue. It's just kind of intermittently in the background. Okay. Um, very good. So uh, you started to kind of talk about, you know, you, you kind of identified that there's an issue and um, you started to look at sort of your decision-making process about, you know, what to, how to try to address it. Um, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, we like to run a lot of uh trial plans that specifically outline, okay, we're going to do this um, and then test both analytically and on sensory. Um, so it's very controlled. So we know we're only controlling one um, step of it. So we'll see what the results are. So we used, um, in my research, I looked a lot at um, the ASBC fish bones and a lot of previous uh, tech- technical quarterly papers that outlined Okay, in the past, we have seen that reducing levels of true do reduce levels of mercaptan, or this leads to higher levels of mercaptan. Um, so it's a really great resource to kind of help us plan out what we are going to do in this study. It sure is. Those things are great. Yeah. You mentioned, you're, in your article, you mentioned how the industry is becoming more competitive and the consumers becoming less forgiving. Talk about that. How are large craft breweries like Dogfish adapting to those market conditions? I think, as it always has been with Dogfish, putting forward your best product. Um, consumers, like I said, are more and more aware of off flavors. If they get a bad case of beer, then they'll be less forgiving. And it might take four or five good cases of beer to win back their trust. So it's always in our best interest to put forward our best product. Um, and if it's something that's as offensive as Mercaptan, um, that's not something that is going to sneak by a lot of people. Um, I know, for example, with diacetyl, um, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but um, a certain percentage of the population is completely blind to diacetyl. And in um, bigger beers, higher alcohol, more complex flavors, it may be masked a little bit. But something like Mercaptan uh, really has this offensive rotting garbage type smell that not a lot of people are going to find um, pleasing in any way. Yeah, it's hard to hide that. Um, yeah. Let's talk about those sulfur compounds in more detail. You started to talk about it a little bit, but um, you know, which, which, compound, which sulfur compounds are we interested in here and, and talk more about where they come from? So for this particular study, we're looking at polyfunctional thiols. Um, so those are just large sulfur compounds, uh, with a bunch of different functional groups on them. Um, other sulfur compounds that we're really concerned about in brewing include things like dimethyl sulfide, where you get that kind of cream corn smell. Um, but these are just the large sulfur compounds. Um, and like I said, they can come from yeast autolysis, bacterial infection, dry hopping, or in a trube. Uh, for this study, I was mainly focused on, um, high levels of trube in the fermenter. 
So what happens is everything that's in there, proteins, hops, all that begins to break down. But as the hops break down, they will release these sulfur compounds and leach out into the beer. Um, so that's why this can also be a problem uh, with high levels of dry hopping. So the longer uh, contact time that the beer has on these degrading materials, the higher risk there is that these sulfur compounds will leach into the beer. Um, so the idea of this study was to get that initial level of trube or cold break off, um, dump it out off the bottom of the fermenter so that the um, beer does not sit on it as long. Okay, you mentioned an article, uh, Synergism and Sensory Confusion in relation to these sulfur compounds. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, with a lot of sensory um, kind of aspects, it's hard to identify one particular compound. Um, So one major example uh, used for sensory studies is coffee. There's not one specific flavor compound that is coffee. It's actually hundreds of compounds building together to make that flavor of coffee. Um, So the same thing happens with sulfur compounds, for example. Um, So in this study, I wanted to look at both mercaptan and a general quote-unquote sulfur rating. So it's really important that we define those. So anytime that we have a sensory panel, um, we have resources available to define what we're looking for. So mercaptan was defined as this drain, rotten garbage, where we defined sulfur as a struck match type flavor. Um, because so, so more of like a sulfur dioxide type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the important takeaway from that is define what you're looking for um, and define uh, when you're creating a ballot for sensory studies, what that specific flavor is, uh, because it is very easy to kind of confuse or say, oh yeah, I'm getting a lot of this. It must be this. Coming up, Joe shares the details and results of the trials to reduce mercaptan. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Carolinas meets in Greenville September 15th. The District St. Paul Minneapolis annual golf outing and meeting is also September 15th. District Western New York meets September 18th at Swiftwater in Rochester. The District St. Louis golf tournament is September 21st. District Ontario's 2017 Iron Brewer is September 29th in Toronto. Don't miss the 2017 Master Brewers Conference, October 12th through the 14th in Atlanta. Come early for the hats, of course, if you need to build a food safety program at your brewery. District Michigan and St. Louis both meet on October 19th. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is October 20th and 21st in Eugene. District Mid-South's Fall Meeting is October 21st at Mill Creek Brewing. The 2017 Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science Course begins October 29th in Madison. Districts Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Southeast all have meetings scheduled during November, and don't miss the first District New York meeting in ages at Triumph Brewing in Princeton, New Jersey, November 11th. Hope to see you there. Check the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. 
mercaptan really is not a single compound, but is used to describe a, a group of compounds. Um, it, it's um, it's actually what's added to natural gas, right? To give it, yep. the, to, so you That's notice smell. it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because if it didn't have it, we would not know. So, um, okay, we you, you talked about how we get mercaptan in beer a little bit. Um, so we talked about you know the the trube and and longer fermentation times uh which is you know the area where you looked into we talked about having having lots of hot material in the fermenter yeast autolysis where you you're essentially the cells rupturing and you're releasing all this cellular crap into the beer when those yep. when those cells rupture so as you said your 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 study focused on trube removal um and i assume that's where you started first you didn't look at anything else first right yeah we didn't actually this was primarily just looking at true because, as you know, with designing experiments, you really only want to control one variable um, because if we tried to uh, alter any of the other ones, we wouldn't know what the effect was. Sure thing. So why don't you give us the details for trial one? Just tell us about the, the beer, um, you know, the tank size, what was different yep. between your control and the special, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so trial one and trial two. Um, just generally overall, we're the same beer. Um, so in general, that was a 9% IPA. So you're going to see a lot of hot material in there um, because we want that bitterness. So for both, it was a uh, 600 barrel brew. So for trial one, um, we did two tanks, a control and a trial, both 600 barrels. Control uh, went through the process normally. Trial um, hops and true material were removed at 12 and 24 hours. So basically what that meant was brewers would go to the bottom of the uh, cylinder conical tank and dump until they saw beer. This was kind of our exploratory um, experiment. So then after that, that was the only variable that was uh, changed Sorry, between those tanks. So they were processed the same way, filtered, carbonated went on to bright tank samples. So you had the, uh, I assume you had the same yeast, the same pitch rate, same, yep. same yeast storage Every, conditions, all that. Yep. Same okay. dry hopping schedule. And how um, about, how about, um, when you say they dropped to beer, uh, tell us about how much, you know, what was the volume there and, and what were the time intervals? So the time intervals were 12 and 24 hours. So at 12 hours, it was 300 gallons of beer. And at 24 hours, it was 200. And um, this was just kind of our first exploratory experiment. So we just wanted to see how long it would take to get to that um, just beer, getting all the sludge and all the troop out of that first tank. Okay. And any, um, any major uh, reasons behind the 12 and 24, or did that just kind of seem like a good place to start? I think it was just a good place to start because we wanted that troube to be in there for a little bit uh, because there has been research that's shown you should... Um, have a little bit of that in there for yeast health, um, which is why you don't want to remove it all um, on the way to the fermenter. But um, that also seemed like a good amount of time uh, to let everything settle um, and then get active fermentation started. Okay, let's talk about your um, sensory panel. Can you tell us a little bit about that, you know, in terms of the number of participants, you know, uh, their skill level, um, maybe even comment a little bit about if you'd like, um, you know, within subject versus between, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, for our sensory, for trial one, um, we were really only looking at bright tank samples. So we pulled finished beer product from the trial 
and the control tank individually. So that was filtered, carbonated, kegged. Um, and we put it on our sensory panel. So our sensory panel consists of coworkers throughout the brewery. So that can be brewers, quality members, um, people who work in the offices, packaging, really anyone can join it. And they go through a um, 40-hour training class where we teach them all about our beers, what should be in our beers, what shouldn't be in our beers. And then we go through 20 off flavors. Um, so it's pretty extensive. Um, and one of those specific off flavors is Mercaptan. So we actually use um, Aroxa spikes and train them in 60-minute IPA, in 90-minute IPA, in Namaste. This is what Mercaptan will look like, or this is what diacetyl will look like, or ethyl hexanoate. It goes on and on. Um, so the members of our panel are trained to be able to recognize off flavors, but they are also just coworkers. Um, so for this first trial, we had uh, 13 participants, and they were asked to rate the trial sample and the control sample on two different scales. The first part of the test was a 15-point attribute scale. So that went from no presence to extreme presence. So we looked at perceived attributes of bitterness, maltiness, mercaptan, and sulfur. The next thing we did was um, ask the participants about their liking of the samples. So for that, we just used a standard nine-point hedonic scale, which went from I dislike this sample extremely to I like this sample extremely. Okay, great. So tell us about what trial one uncovered. So the results of trial one, um, after we collected all of our data, we um, analyzed it using an ANOVA analysis of variance. And I'm actually using R, which is a statistical computing program that's largely based on code and it's free. So it's open source. You can go in, download different packages, enter your data and analyze it and produce graphs all on that um, software. And we actually found that in the trial bright tank, as compared to the control, there was significantly less perceived mercaptan, but all the other attributes and liking remained unchanged. Very good. Okay, so uh, tee, up, tee up trial two for us there. Um, from an operations standpoint, what did, you tr what did you change for trial two, if anything, and why? Yep. So trial two was set up exactly the same way. Really, the only thing that changed was we did sensory in both the fermenter and in the bright tank. And we were a little more aware as to how much beer we were dropping and actually did a percent solids uh, measurement of that. So the um, trial tank was treated exactly the same way as the control during brewing, during processing, during all other um, parts of the process. But again, we dropped beer at 12 and 24 hours. Um, at both, it was 100 gallons. And instead of just dropping until we saw beer, we dropped 100 at both and then measured percent solids. So at the 12-hour mark, we saw 3.7% solids. And at the 24-hour mark, we saw 4.75% solids. Okay, how did the results from uh, the second trial go? So again, we did all the same sensory. So rating on bitter, multi-mercaptan, sulfur, uh, and liking. Um, in the fermenter trial, we had 18 participants, and we saw a significant decrease in levels of perceived mercaptan, but we also saw a um, significant increase in preference or liking of that sample. Um, 
in the bright tanks, uh, we had 20 participants. And again, we saw a significant decrease in perceived mercaptan. But we also saw a significant decrease in perceived sulfur. And again, a significant increase in uh, preference or liking of the uh, trial tank. Were you surprised at all uh, with the results from the the two different sample points from the cold crash samples versus the bright tank? Uh, Yeah, because for some reason, um, sulfur remained unchanged in the fermenter. But I guess in the bright tank, because they were a little more cleaned up, there wasn't as much um, other things like maybe a little bit of haze to work through, that they were more specifically able to target, oh, sulfur had decreased as well. So you did it. You reduced more captain and made a better glass of beer, right? Yeah, that that was the goal. So I'm happy that it turned out this way. That's great. So did this study lead to um, any permanent process changes at the brewery? Uh, we're still working through it. So there there still might be more to come from this, but uh, working on it. How about, um, have you looked at this in other brands too, or just this one brand that you've nope. been working on? Yeah, no, it's just been this one brand. So that's why it's important to keep kind of looking out where this is a problem, testing it in different brands. Um, I said in my paper too, this may have worked for us, but you really don't know until you get onto a, a larger scale or be a smaller scale to see whether this would work. I know a lot of smaller breweries would not be able necessarily to dump as much beer to the floor uh, because it would decrease their volume put out. So you really kind of have to see how it works with your tanks, um, tank geometry, how your yeast behaves, what kind of ingredients you're using in your brews all will play a role on how this happens um, during fermentation. Yeah. Do you think that you're going to end up making some more tweaks to, you know, the, the amount of uh, the volume that you drop as well as those time intervals? I think, yeah, I think so. I think you'll probably see in the future something like that, either changes to the volume, changes to the time, uh, further analysis of kind of what's going on. Um, in terms of like percent solids, what makes up that percent solids, just to see how it really is uh, affecting the beer. I'd love to see whether or not that first drop matters. You know, I wonder if you couldn't get the same or better results with less beer loss if you just did that second drop. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see that. Yeah, exactly. Because then you would be dropping less volume, so you're saving more product. And then that's just less labor. If you don't need to do that, then there's no point in doing it. That's right. Um, so. And I wonder also, and I'm sure this has crossed your mind though, if, if um, you know, if the optimal time, if you can find that optimal time for the drop, you know, I wonder to what extent that will vary by brand. That, that'll be an interesting nut to crack there too. Exactly. And I think that has a lot to do in terms of how quickly each different brand takes off in terms of firm, active fermentation. Uh because you don't know one brand, which may be a higher starting gravity, might take a little bit longer um, or it might go faster, depending. Um, but it, that may drastically change when these compounds start to leach out um, and when you actually start to perceive them um, from a sensory standpoint. Your study mentioned but didn't really address uh, the approach here, didn't really address the reduction of hop material from a dry hopping process. Uh, what about that? Do you think that could have a, a big impact here? And do you plan to trial anything related to spent hot re- hop removal after dry hopping? Um, I definitely think that is another thing to look into. Uh, right now, that's not really on the radar, but I think that could be a potential uh, 
for a lot of brands that are super high uh, dry hopping their brands and then letting them sit on that material. Um, if they're aging for a long time, that would be something that you would really want to take a look at. Sure. Now, this beer in particular is fermented uh, with a proprietary yeast strain. To what extent do you think uh, the mercaptan levels are yeast strain dependent or even uh, even just simply controlled by yeast management? Obviously, jump, dumping some troop out of fermenters is a lot easier than all the complexities that and logistics that go into keeping yeast healthy and happy. Um, but I wonder, you know, which has a greater impact? Yeah, and that's kind of where you have to keep looking like i said it's different for every brewery but there are going to be certain yeast strains that do produce more mercaptans so it you kind of have to see in your brewery is it my yeast strain or the type of yeast i'm using that is causing this or is it something like these materials it could be a combination of the both That was Joe Spirat from Dogfish here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Joe's research, check out his paper in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly, Volume 54, Number 3. You can get there from the publications menu or by typing Mercaptain into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. One hundred and thirty years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting, where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. United, we brew. The 2017 Master Brewers Conference is October 12th through the 14th in Atlanta, Georgia. Conference details can be found along with all the other great resources at mbaa.com. My heart full of rage. Did you enjoy today's episode? Would you like us to keep making more? If so, there's a really simple way you can let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review the Master Brewers Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I can't get stuck, I can't be losing too much, and then I'm heading out to any other place. Calm down, I'm running too fast, and then I bump on the ground.